Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. I have never in my life felt anything as powerful as whatever force was in that room while those women talked. And I began to believe that it was the talking itself that did it, that perhaps women's voices in harmony were like some sort of flintstone sparking, or like the hot burst of air that comes through a window, billowing the curtains before rain. Caitlin Greenidge, Liberty. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia, and today I'm recapping the books I read in February. February is a short month, and it was a month in which I (laughs) felt a little discombobulated in my reading life. I felt like I read, the best way I can describe it, is in fits and starts. I would binge a book in a day or take a book with me almost throughout the entire month. Like It just felt like the books I was reading, I either could finish in one sitting or I had to sit with them for weeks. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it is a different kind of reading rhythm than I'm used to. One of the things I found to be true for me in 2021 is that my attention span and my capacity for reading seem to be diminished a little bit. And I experienced that really kind of back in maybe March and April, like toward the beginning of this pandemic that we're still living through, but I have found it to be true now too. And that has been odd and kind of hard to navigate as somebody who reads partly for a living. So that has been kind of difficult. And it just feels like even though the want of reading is there, the capacity is not. And yet then when I looked back at the month, I realized I had read seven books. And I'm also finding, I don't know if other people are the same way, but I am reading books in bits and pieces. And so therefore I have a lot of books going at once. And that is pretty unusual for me. Pre-bookshelf, I would read one nonfiction book and one fiction book at a time. In my bookshelf life, I typically just read one book at a time so that I can finish it and review it and talk about it. And this month and really last month, I instead, I've had to think at the end of every month, wait, what did I finish? Because I'm still in the middle of so many. So as of this recording, I am still in the middle of probably probably two or three books for February, but I just, I don't want to review them because I haven't read them yet. And so the books that I am recapping here are books that I have read and finished uh, as of as of this recording. So these are the books I read in February. The first book I finished is This Close to Okay by Lisa Cross Smith. This is a book that I think got an early release thanks to Book of the Month. So you may have seen this one for a little bit now, like out in the world of the internet (laughs) and maybe on bookstagram. And maybe you've seen some reviews. This was my first Lisa Cross Smith book to read. One of my former employees, coworkers, Kate, she currently is the manager at Bookmarks in North Carolina. You've maybe heard us talk about Kate a little bit and her avid reading life. Kate had recommended long ago the book Whiskey and Ribbons by Lisa Cross Smith, and I just have never read it. So when this one released, I literally went to the store, I think on a Monday, 
The bookshelf right now is not technically open on Mondays. Our staffers, Caroline and Aaron, work and kind of get the store ready for the week and process online orders and things like that. But I sneaked in on a Monday to do something or other and just saw this book sitting on the shelf. And I, at the time, was in the middle of a lot of heavy books. And I wasn't, I don't want to say I was slogging my way through them because some of them you'll hear about in this in this episode. And slogging does them a disservice. I wasn't slogging through them, but I was kind of taking my time. I was not reading anything really page turning at the moment. And so I grabbed this one off the shelf knowing nothing about it, which my friend Hunter, who is frequently on this podcast, he will say that he, and I think he still does this, reads a book really without ever reading a blurb. Um, And I think that's still true. I know that's something that he practiced when we first met. And I was such, I was in such awe of that because I typically kind of like to know what I'm getting into. But instead, I just picked this one up, truly did not read the back cover, had not read any reviews. Like I said, it had released early only to Book of the Month subscribers. So we had not seen it yet. So I started reading on a kind of rainy Monday and I was blown away by the utterly compulsively readable nature of this book. And I was startled by the synopsis. So if you are not familiar, this book is about a therapist named Tali, uh, short for Tallulah. And Tali is a therapist. She's driving around Louisville, her town, at this uh, one day, one evening, and it's raining. And she crosses this bridge and she sees a man about to jump. And she gets out of her car. She engages him. She converses with him and eventually kind of convinces him to not jump. And he gets in her car and they go to a diner. And then next thing you know, he's he's staying the weekend at her house. All of that, I will admit, was a lot. I just, first of all, just did not know that we were dealing with heavier subject matter for this book. I, I, again, I had no preconceived notions. I don't know why. I don't know. Like, no one had told me that. <laughs> I had, I have no idea why I assumed that about this book, that it would maybe be a little bit lighter. It's not a light book. However, what Lisa Cross Smith does, I think, is really fascinating. So you've got this kind of inciting incident at the start of the book that leaves me or left me as a reader not really sure if I was going to be on board with this because it felt a little odd. In fact, it felt, I never saw this movie, but I was talking about it with my friends because I was like, this premise reminds me of a movie. I cannot remember it because I never saw it, but this woman like takes in a criminal over the weekend. And it was, if I'm not mistaken, a movie based on a book. And I did read the book. The movie is called Labor Day and it's, I believe it's starring Kate Winslet, maybe Josh Brolin. (laughs) And anyway, she takes in a criminal. I don't even know why, but she, but he stays in her house over the weekend. And I am 90% sure I read a book that this movie was based on. Anyway, that's what I kept thinking of as I was reading this book. And again, just wondering about the ethics of it, right? About this therapist who kind of brings this man into her life and into her home. Yes, to care for him and to help him. But there is, as you read the book, a, a slight bit of attraction there of romantic attraction or or even platonic attraction. I just kept wondering about the ethics of it all, but the book is so good. (laughs) I really liked it a lot. And part of the reason I liked it is I think Cross Smith does handle this stuff with a with a tentative hand. Like I, I think she knows, and I think the point of the book is that this relationship at the heart of it might 
not be the healthiest, but she is guiding these two characters, Emmett and Tally, through their own maybe healing and healing from trauma or healing from tragedy and grief. And I adored, this is going to sound so weird, but Tally, the main character, she has the most delightful sounding cozy home I think I have ever read in literature. (laughs) Like I, especially in modern literature, I just was blown away by the descriptions of Tally's home and the life she has built for herself. I just felt like I wanted to step inside her house, step inside her life. I wanted to be her friend. Even though maybe the relationship at the heart of the book had me scratching my head a little bit, I think you can trust the author. You can trust Lisa Cross Smith to kind of guide you through this, even if you're like me and you're a little bit like, what's going on here? I think you can trust the author. I now really want to go back into Lisa Cross Smith's backlist. I sat on my, this is kind of my long-winded way of saying, I opened this book on a Monday and finished it like in a, in a few hours. And because I was so swept away and caught up in the story itself. And also, I really loved these characters. We talk a lot on this podcast about plot-driven versus character-driven fiction. And I think every so often you get a book that really is both. This is a book that is heavy on the character development. And yet stuff is happening. Like, like this plot is moving along at such a pace that I could not put it down. The chapters are short, which we've talked about before, and the lending, lending itself to the readability of this book. I loved it. Four-star read for me. If you are in a reading slump, I think you might want to try this. I I was not necessarily in what I would call a slump, but I needed something. Every so often, I need a book that I can finish in one or two sittings so I can feel like I did it. (laughs) So I can feel like, oh, I am reading. Because sometimes you can get bogged down in a book, even a good book, that's taking you a long time, and it can make you feel like you're not accomplishing anything. And I think that says some not great things about my personality, that I feel like I need to be accomplishing things. But if you are in a reading slump or you find yourself just kind of meandering through a book right now and you need something that is compulsively, propulsively readable, then I think you should try This Close to Okay by Lisa Cross Smith. She is dealing with heavy issues here. So take that you know, for what it is, depending on the kind of reader you are. She is dealing with heavy issues. I think the premise, the premise that, which you now know, uh, has hinted to that. But she handles it in such a way that I feel like I can trust her implicitly. And I really do want to go back and look at her backlist. Next up, How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House. This is a debut novel by Cherie Jones. I think if you listen to the podcast, you may have heard me reading this book. You may have heard me talking about this book, hinting that I was I was headed toward finishing this book. This is one of the titles that I was in the middle of. Again, not slogging through, but I entered into this book with the wrong, perhaps, assumption for what it was. So, and in my winter literary lunch, I think I told readers that I envisioned this to be a book about class and race, maybe in the same vein as Such a Fun Age, but also a story about a vacation gone wrong. So I was thinking Saint X, do not become alarmed, that kind of thing. It's set on the island of Barbados. The two characters I was introduced to first are Lala, who winds up being the main protagonist of the book, and Mrs. Whalen. 
Lala is a woman who has been born and raised on the island of Barbados. She is with uh, her boyfriend, Aiden. They are pregnant, and we open the book like immediately with Lala giving birth and trying to find Aiden so that he can get her to a hospital. And so she's knocking on people's doors kind of along the coastline, and partly to find Aiden, but mostly now just to get some help because she is really, truly about to give birth. And so she knocks on the door of this really nice, beautiful beach home kind of on the coastline. And as she is about to knock, she hears a gunshot and she starts to flee the scene. And then coming out of the home, running out of the home is her boyfriend, Aiden. And he, you know, has a deer in the, has a deer in the headlights kind of look. They leave and flee together. We, the reader, know that what Aiden has done is he has shot someone in the middle of a home invasion and he has killed Mr. Whalen. So Mrs. Whalen is a woman who was actually born on Barbados but has left. She wound up marrying a tourist who took her back to London and now they vacation here every summer. This is the premise with which you are greeted immediately upon starting the book. Like this stuff happens within the first 10 to 20 pages. I assume then that this was going to be about the relationship between Lala and Mrs. Whalen and kind of this, this crime that happens at the start of the book. Instead, what unfolds is a really dark, almost suffocating story of domestic violence and abuse. I would like to be clear that I think this book is so well written and so well done. I To say I liked it would feel weird <laughs> because this book is not for the faint of heart. It is intense and heavy. Suffocating is the best word I can use to describe it. It took me a long time to read, not because it was not propulsively readable, like this close to okay. I do think this is a book. It's got short chapters. I think this is a book that you could potentially fly through, except what Cherie Jones is talking about and writing about and what her characters are living through is heavy and intense. And it sits, I wish you could see me. I, this is not a video podcast, but it sits like right on your shoulders and you just feel burdened with Lala's story. And look, I think that's the sign of a great writer. And I hesitate to talk about the heaviness of this book because I know for some readers, that's a real deterrent, especially maybe right now through what we're living through. It, it's hard to read books like this. And yet, I cannot tell you, I'm so glad I read it. This is another four-star book. I read a lot of good books this month, actually. But this is another four-star book for me. Lala is a character, I think, who will stick with me for a really long time. Getting to see things and understand her and Aiden's relationship I mean, there are some things that happen in this book that are absolutely brutal. They're, they are hard, hard, hard to read. And yet it is Lala's survival that kept me reading. I desperately wanted good things for Lala. There, the book is kind of told in alternating voices. At first, I assumed it would be told between Lala and Mrs. Whalen. Mrs. Whalen does function as a narrator in a couple of parts, but really this book mainly belongs to Lala. You also get kind of a backstory of her own mother and her grandmother. You also get Aiden's perspective at one point, which is really interesting. And you get Lala's kind of friend, love interest, and one of Aiden's friends, Tone. You also get his storyline. And I really liked that. Again, plot-driven, character-driven, this kind of perfectly melds the two. But those characters are at the heart of the book. And to get insight into Tone and Aiden was something I was not expecting or anticipating, but I'm really glad I did. 
I can't wait to see what Cherie Jones write next, writes next. She is originally, I believe, from Barbados. I loved what she did here. It is hard and it is not for the faint of heart, but I think if you can handle it, you should try it because the writing is beautiful and I think Lala will like sit in your soul for a long time. So this is called How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House. I feel like I got that title (laughs) wrong a lot. How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House by Cherie Jones. Okay, then I finished a book that I had been reading for a couple of months. This one is Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First by Laura Tremaine. You heard our conversation with Laura Tremaine back a couple of weeks ago. We talked a lot about Share Your Stuff, the heart behind it, the conversations that Laura Tremaine has with her friends, has with the people she interacts with, and how we too can have those conversations. I loved this book. And I'm not just saying that. Like, I really did love this book. I took my time reading it because here is one of the things I really like about it. I have not read anything like this. The book is part memoir. And make no mistake, Laura Tremaine is a really gifted writer. I was sucked into her essays and her stories. But it's part memoir, part like personal growth, inspiration for your own journaling and writing. Each chapter really is a writing prompt or a thinking prompt or a conversational prompt. It's a question that she kind of presents to you, the reader, and she's encouraging you to to ask that question of yourself and to ask it of your friends. So yes, journal. Yes, be introspective. But also her point really is share these conversations and share these questions with the people in your life. So she starts by introducing the question, talking about maybe the heart behind the question, and then she answers the question for you. So she goes first. I think this premise just was so great. I've never, like I said, never read anything like it. I have been encouraged to write for myself some of my answers to these questions. Like some of these answers, I was like, what would I say? What would I answer? And then this this month, I had the wonderful opportunity to finally get to see another human being <laughs> outside of my family or the bookshelf staff. I uh, was able to travel to Asheville. You'll hear about some of what I was able to read, but I was able to travel to Asheville to be with a friend, but we were able to take precautions and, and be together. And as a result, we used Laura Tremaine's book for the occasional conversational prompt. And so we answered these questions for ourselves. And what was such a gift was to be able to answer the question for myself, like to really think through my own answers, but also was to hear someone else's story. And, you know, I think for a long time, we have used this this narrative of we each have our own story. Like, I feel like I've heard that for a long time, maybe particularly in evangelical Christian cultures, like the power of sharing your story and using your own narrative to kind of guide your life's decisions. I feel like Donald Miller maybe addressed that. I feel like I read that, you know, a decade or more ago. I think Laura Tremaine is putting a new spin on it, which is, yes, we all have stories, but are we sharing them? And are we hearing them? Are we listening to each other? And in a world where I think it can be hard sometimes to listen to people and maybe where we're asking the wrong questions first, I loved this book. I thought it was so great. Um, It's one of the books I was in the middle of because it took me a while to read because I wanted to kind of read it one chapter at a time and then kind of think about each chapter. I can also see, I think I have one of my friends, she read it in a couple of sittings because she just 
was so intrigued, I think, and so moved by Laura's own answers to these questions. So we put this book in our Galentine's Day boxes for a reason. I think this is the perfect book to share with your friends. I was inspired to, it had been a long time since I had shared a book with the people I love. So I mailed out a couple of copies, including, and I do love this idea, which is why I'm sharing it with you. The, I, my friends and I, my friends, are scattered. Oh, there's a group of us who are kind of scattered all over the country. And we used to have a sister of the traveling book club. <laughs> and so we would, I or another friend would start by reading a book and then mailing it to the next person. And we would each mark in it, like write our notes, mark our favorite passages, and then mail it to the next person. And whoever started the book, the book would find its way back to them. So I mailed out my copy of Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First. And encouraged my friends to like get this thing started back up again where we write our notes and then send it back and then it'll ultimately find its way back to me. But I I just love that idea. I love anything that is going to get us talking. I think we're some of us too. I'm talking about myself. I'm a little bit out of practice. Like I have not talked to another person maybe about deeper things in a long time unless it's Jordan because that's who I've seen the most out of the last year. So I just think it's going to be a great tool as we maybe re-enter the world and re-enter our friendships. And I really liked it. And I think the writing is great too. So this is Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First by Laura Tremaine. From maybe <laughs> in the middle of some of the other things I was reading this month, again, I would just on a Monday, and, and I see a pattern when I look at the books I read this month, I would just occasionally need a book that I could finish on a Monday. Mondays are my day off. And so I typically clean my house and do my laundry and get caught up and also read. And so I read the book, Anne of Manhattan by Brina Starler. This is exactly what you might have guessed it is. It is a modern retelling of Anne of Green Gables very much in the romance fiction genre. <laughs> so I picked this up because the love story between Anne Shirley and Gilbert Blythe is one of my favorites of all time. Not only do I love, sure, the the rom-com trope of haters to, to lovers, sorry for using the word lovers, but I also really like perhaps the more underappreciated rom-com trope of friends turned romantic partners and competitors. Like I love competitors. I think it's Hawaii. It's one of the reasons I like You've Got Mail. It's not really about that initial hatred for me. It's really about seeing someone as a competitor. And again, not sure what that says about my personality type, but I've always loved this story of Anne and Gilbert who sure maybe hate each other at first, but then they become friends and competitors. Like they make each other better. And I Love that. I love that in a love story. So Anne of Manhattan is set on the island of Manhattan. Anne Shirley is a graduate student, and she reacquaints herself with Gilbert, who has been over, not overseas, he's been in California for undergrad. And now his dad has become sick, and he has come back home to to finish up his graduate degree. Home is a little, I believe, oh, I don't want to get this wrong, but I think it's kind of on Cape Cod, like that that type of, like Martha's Vineyard, like that is kind of a replacement for Prince Edward Island in this book. I think this book is really clever. I loved, if you are an avid and Shirley, Anne of Green Gables reader, then there are a lot of like Easter eggs. This must be how superhero fans feel. <laughs> like, 
like I re- I read it with such a big grin on my face because I was like, oh, like it had just a bunch of shout outs, I think, and little Easter eggs to the L.M. Montgomery works. This is a romantic piece of modern literature. And so there are some PG-13 kind of sexy scenes. And I mostly, I feel like I did have to skim a couple of pages if you're like gauging your own (laughs) capabilities on mine. If you are not a prude and if you love romance literature, go out and get this book. It's not out yet. I'm so sorry. But it will release, I believe, in I should always come prepared with this information. And I'm sorry that I didn't. It'll be in the show notes. This book will release later this spring. I think if you're a romance reader, you will enjoy this book, particularly if you are an Anne Shirley fan. If you're like me and you're more of a closed-door romance reader, I still think you can read this one and enjoy it. You might have to skim a couple of pages. And that's just my personal preference is a closed-door romance. But it's just so fun. There are just so many shout-outs to the little to the stories I loved as a little girl that I couldn't help but enjoy this one. And again, sometimes you just want to read a book that brings a smile to your face. uh, And this one definitely did. So that is Anne of Manhattan by Brina Starler. It is going to be a paperback original. Then I finished Liberty by Caitlin Greenidge. This is another book that I started a while ago, and it just took me a while to finish. And I'll tell you what, I know exactly why. It is not written in chapters. It's written in sections. And if you are like me and you like shorter chapters, this one presents a challenge just because, again, there are not chapter breaks. There are section breaks. However, please, please, please read this book. It's so good. You're going to I think you are going to see it everywhere. This one releases late March, early April, I think maybe March 30th. And It is already on track, I believe, to be an Indie Next pick. If you're familiar, Indie Next is the list that compiles the favorites and the bestsellers of independent bookstores. And so I think it is already going to be the featured title in Indie Next. It has received rave advanced reviews. It's been on a lot of most anticipated lists. Caitlin Greenidge wrote a book called, oh, I think it was called We Love You, Charlie Outlaw. One of my former bookshelf staffers read that book and really liked it. I did not read it. So I was not as familiar with Caitlin Greenidge's work. Liberty, as I understand it, is a departure from that novel. This is a historical fiction book, loosely based and I think inspired by one of the first Black female doctors in America in the book. That is Liberty's mother. And Liberty is her daughter who is drawn to poetry and music rather than science. And so Liberty is really this beautifully told mother-daughter story. It is set right kind of after, like right post-Civil War. And the opening scene is your I believe you are seeing the Underground Railroad being utilized and practiced. And so that is kind of the era in which this book takes place. I loved this book. I think, I hope you can tell, I loved this book. I do not typically read historical fiction, but I was intrigued by the premise. It is going to be sold, and perhaps rightfully so, as as really, again, being loosely based on the first Black female doctor in America, or one of the first However, the book is really Liberty's. I mean, that's the name of the book. And Liberty and her relationship with her mom and how she grows up. So the book 
really each section is a different phase in Liberty's life. Um, So the first section is really about her growing up with her mother and what it was like to grow up in this Black community where her mother was a doctor, where her mother also would treat white patients and how those white patients in turn treated her mom and kind of her observations of that. It's also about growing up in this community where Black people from the South who had been formerly enslaved would come to Liberty's community and what freedom looked like for them. I found those descriptions of the book to be really beautifully wrought, bittersweet stories. And because it was, you know, it's Liberty, this young girl observing, and she was born free. So it's her observing an ensla- a formerly enslaved people coming to freedom and her being kind of wondrous and confused as to why at first glance freedom seems hard. And so I was really struck by that first section of the book. The second section is Liberty going to college and at her mother's kind of insistence because her mother's dream is for Liberty to inherit and her practice and kind of work alongside her. And little does her mother know that Liberty has very little interest in that. She is drawn again to music and to poetry, but she's also been turned off by how her mother, how her mother interacts with white patients and also with black patients and how her mother is treated in their community. It, Interestingly, there's so much happening in this book. I think you can, again, probably hear in my voice, like there's so much happening with such nuance. But there is also at the heart just a mother-daughter story about a daughter who does not want to follow in her mother's footsteps. So at its simplest form, I really think what that's what this book is. It's Liberty not wanting to grow up and be a doctor. And so there's a lot of other, there are a lot of other elements to the story, but at its heart, I think that's what this book is. The third section, and I think I've got this right, there are three or four sections, but the latter part of the book is about liberty as an adult. And um, part of the book then takes place in Haiti, which I also found really interesting. I've, I've been to Haiti, and so I, I appreciated that part of the book as well. So this book crosses years, crosses decades, and also spans continents or, or spans spans locations and geographies. But all through it, you're really getting great insight into Liberty and her relationship with her mom. Liberty also has a beautiful and interesting relationship with two of her college classmates. And I don't want to spoil anything. I just love that story and how it unfolds. There is so much rich goodness in this book. Rich is the best word I can think of because part of the reason it took me so long, yes, was the sections uh, rather than the short chapters. Certainly that changed my changed how I read this book. But also this book is so meaty. Like there is so much happening for a fiction work. And I and I loved it. Like I loved that meatiness. I did, I want to be clear, I did not got I did not get bogged down in the meatiness. I relished in it. Like, I loved that. But it did take me a little bit longer than maybe a more bingeable book might, uh, partly because I was really enjoying the journey I was on with Liberty and with her mom. So this book is called Liberty by Caitlin Greenidge. I cannot recommend it enough. I thought it was excellent. Next up, I finally finished The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James Cone. If you've listened to the podcast for a while, you know that you might remember that this was a book I started last summer. And it is a thin little book. Like it is 
oh, probably 150 or so pages. My brother had read this and recommended it a few years ago or a couple of years ago. My dad read it last summer and I started it and probably read half of it last summer. And as you might be able to guess from the title, this is a really heavy book. And so I wound up really taking my time with it. I also took my time with it because, and I think my brother, so my brother has his uh, master's in theology. And so as a result, <laughs> sometimes he he is a very different reader for me. And so he's reading a lot more academic works. And The Cross and the Lynching Tree is really dense. So it's 150 pages, but it's really dense. And a really insightful look into the black church and black theology. And so that is part of the reason it took me so long is it's smart. <laughs> and I felt like I was underlining like every other word or every other sentence. There's just so much in here. And then I also was Googling things like that I didn't know. And look, I'm an Enneagram five. So is my brother. I love things like that. Like I definitely felt like I was at my best research Sherpa self. Like, like I really delved into this book. But that's part of the reason it took me so long was it's 150 pages and you think you're going to fly through it. But instead, you're learning so much that you really want to take your time. It's, if I'm not mistaken, four or five chapters. So they're very long chapters. And each chapter is really a different aspect of Black theology, particularly as it relates to the cross. If you are not a Christian, I think you could still read this book and get something out of it because I think you would learn about maybe the history of the Black church or, again, Black theology. If you are a Christian, and particularly if you are a white Christian, I almost think this book is a must-read. That that being said, I it is dense. <laughs> um, I think it is a harder book simply because of the academic nature, maybe, of the work itself. But like I've already told Jordan, I want him to read it. There's just so much here that I didn't know. And and particularly as it relates to how Black Christians view the cross. And I I found it to be so worthwhile and so important. And I really am so glad I finally made the time this month to really sit down with it and finish it. I you know, I think it's a book that you really do have to kind of sit with and not just wrestle with, but really just think about and ask yourself some hard questions and ask some hard questions of your own upbringing. If you're like me and you were raised in the white, I don't know about the, I don't know all the time if I, if I really grew up in the evangelical church, but certainly in the white Christian church. And so if that is you, or if you like or typically read or are drawn to the books that I read about faith, I think this one is worth your time. Lots of history here. There, The first chapter is about African-American spirituals and hymns, and I loved that chapter. The second chapter is about a theologian, a white theologian who I was not at all familiar with. Again, sometimes I feel <laughs> sometimes I feel slightly removed from evangelical culture. Others of you might be familiar with him. So the second chapter was really about this kind of white, progressive, for lack of a better term, theologian and his relationship to the civil rights movement and to the enslavement of people and to the lynching tree. And it was oh, it was it was this book was particularly, I'm really glad actually I read it now because I read it right after 
Jesus and John Wayne. And the two books, I think, pair really well with one another. So if you've read Jesus and John Wayne and you weren't sure where to go next, I think this would be a good option. And then the third chapter is about Martin Luther King Jr. The fourth chapter is about Black women. And then the fifth chapter, I believe, kind of ties it all together, if I'm not mistaken. That's kind of the trajectory of the book. I really am so glad I read this. Again, if you've read Jesus and John Wayne or if you have read other books about the Christian faith that I have read and you've liked those or you've been intrigued by them or you've enjoyed them, then I think this could be a good one for you as long as you're willing to kind of take your time with it. So that one is called The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James Cone. I heard a lot of heavy <laughs> heavy books in February, so I closed out February by listening to Persuasion by Jane Austen. So one of my reading intentions for 2021 was to read Jane Austen. I am starting to get nervous about that goal I set for myself because I also am reading Middlemarch. And Jane Austen and George Eliot, I think, you know, intertwine with one another beautifully. But also because I'm reading Middlemarch, it feels like a lot to also be reading Jane Austen novels while also reading Front List and not yet released titles. Like it's just a lot happening. But I got to drive to Asheville. I had the I had the gift of being able to drive <laughs> to a place away from my town. <laughs> and so on my drive to Asheville, on the way up, I listened to Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, which is a fantastic audiobook, by the way. If that's a book that you've been wanting to read, like me, but you haven't quite been able to start it, it's a great audiobook. I just haven't finished it yet. And then on the way back, I decided to listen to Persuasion by Jane Austen. As of this recording, I am two chapters away from finishing, but I'm going to finish. Here's a tip for you, too. I use Libro FM for my audiobooks. Libro FM benefits indie bookstores like the bookshelf. So I really encourage you to use Libro FM. However, for persuasion, Spotify is doing these classics, I guess, classic audiobooks. I have not kind of delved in to figure out which ones they're doing, but I had seen that they were doing persuasion narrated by Tony Award winning actress Cynthia Erivo. It is so good. It, at first, I was not sure. I do not read. I do not listen to a lot of fiction books for a reason. I get distracted. Uh, I am not a huge audiobook reader to begin with. But when I listen to an audiobook, it is probably nine times out of ten nonfiction. So this was a departure. But I was like determined to have a Cynthia Erivo read to me. <laughs> so, so I started it. And at first, I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this because there are so many different characters. It's Jane Austen book. And so I was just hesitant that I was going to be able to keep it all straight, you know, while driving and listening to an audiobook. But Cynthia Erivo prevailed. I very quickly realized, you know, who the main characters were. Persuasion is not a book I was familiar with at all. I've never seen a movie adaptation, didn't know what it was about, had heard like murmurings of Anne Elliot maybe as an Enneagram 5 heroine. And I think I'm pretty convinced. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I think I'm like 80% convinced that that's true. Anyway, I loved it. I am so glad. It just made me, again, I was driving with like a big old grin on my face thinking, oh, like it's been so long since I've read a Jane Austen book and Middlemarch is great, but like it is hefty. This book, Persuasion, as many of you probably know, is so short. <laughs> and so it's 24 chapters. I was able to finish almost the entire thing on my eight hour drive. So I can't recommend it enough. And it's a little tip that it's on Spotify with Cynthia Erivo. So Persuasion by Jane Austen. And I feel really good because my goal is to read 
four of those this year, four Jane Austen books. So that was my Jane Austen for the first quarter of the year. So now I can kind of take a little breather. I can focus on middle March and then start back in the second quarter. So also, if you are listening to this and you have read Persuasion, I need to know the best movie adaptation. I Googled and found that there are a couple. And I think the 1995 one is fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, but it was made in 1995. (laughs) Uh, But so was, I think Emma was around that time. But anyway, I'm just curious if you've seen a film adaptation of Persuasion or even like a modern retelling of Persuasion. I'm just curious what I should watch to like reward myself for reading, for reading Jane Austen, which sounds silly. You should not have to reward yourself (laughs) for reading, for reading Jane Austen. But, but I'm having so much fun with it that I kind of want to like watch a film adaptation now. So if you've got a film recommendation for me for after finishing Persuasion, I'd love to hear it. Those are the books that I read in February. I had a wonderful time with each of these books, even when they were heavier subject matters. I'm very glad I read them. And all in all, I was I was not sure what kind of reading month February was going to be, but I think it was a really good month. And I think I'm sticking to some of those reading intentions I set where I wanted to read more nonfiction. I wanted to dive deeper into subjects. I think I'm doing that. And I'm reading Jane Austen. And I'm also you know, reading for work, like I'm reading for shelf subscriptions and for literary lunches so we can talk about good books. So I feel looking back, I feel better about February as a reading month than I did when I was in it, if that makes sense. So I would love to hear what you read in February. We'll post a picture to the bookshelf Instagram so that you can kind of comment and share with each other what you read in February. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in South Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelfteville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, www.bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Dylan and his team at Studio D Production for the transcript, for sound and editing, and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. This week, I'm reading slash listening to Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, and I got my audiobook on Libro FM. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, tell us by leaving a review on iTunes, or if you're so inclined, support us on Patreon, where you can hear our staff's weekly New Release Tuesday conversations, read full book reviews in our monthly Shelf Life newsletter, follow along as Hunter and I conquer a classic, and receive free media mail shipping on all your online book orders. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We are so grateful for you and we look forward to meeting back here next week.